Hi, everyone. Welcome and thank you for tuning into The Animal Files, the podcast where we expose the truth, science, and spirituality of pet care and provide you with the wisdom and tools you need to raise happy and healthy companion animals. My name is Victoria, an animal spirituality facilitator and integrative energy practitioner. And my name is Miranda, an animal health technologist and pet care safety expert. Let's dive in, shall we? Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to our second episode of season three. And as you remember, we are breaking down the certain elements that surround pipples and bully breeds. Last week, we talked about perceptions. We talked about the different individual breeds. We talked about misidentification. Well, we also touched on judgment. And this episode, we are going to kind of come full circle on the judgment part. So I'm just going to let Miranda take this way because we got a lot to get to today. Hmm. So I'm curious, you guys, do you believe or not believe that you make judgments of others? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a power question. That's for sure. <laughs> Oh, we all do it. We're human. If you are human, you do it. And it's natural to do it. So if you do agree that you make judgments, then do you also believe all of your judgments are justified? <laughs> We're starting with big questions. <laughs> <laughs> what do you base your judgments on? The thing is, is that the pit bull and the bully breed bands are based solely on judgments and beliefs. Some feel they are justified, others do not. If you listen to our last episode, you will have learned how many breeds of dogs actually fall under the label of and get misidentified as pit bulls and bully breeds. So here's another big question for you. If jurisdictions are going to ban quote unquote pit bulls and quote unquote bully breeds, how many types of dogs are they actually banning? <laughs> Does your legislature even know? I'm going to say they probably don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, the fact is, is if they are banning based on appearance alone, there's probably thousands of dogs that could be getting banned who have nothing dangerous about them whatsoever. They would basically be banning any dog that is muscular, stocky in build, and has a boxy type head. Sounds like a lot of dogs to me. Yeah. The challenge when you base it on appearance is that you are basically punishing a lot of innocent animals. There typically is no DNA test that is being done to confirm the actual breed nor is there time being taken to review the breed papers. That's the sad part about it. Mm -hmm. So if you have a dog that could potentially be misidentified as a pit bull type dog or a bully breed type of dog, you might have papers that show otherwise. So it might show the lineage of the mother and the father of the dog that you have, which could disprove that it isn't connected to a pit bull or a bully breed dog. But if the legislation and the people who are 
involved with enforcing these bans are not taking the time to review these papers, they come pretty much useless. Yeah, I would probably think that there are baddies in this world that make that so. All of these people who create counterfeit paperwork for humans and animals alike, that they probably don't put too much thought into the papers because they're automatically going to think, and this is a sad part, and I know it's the state of our world now nowadays, but in almost every corner of the world, you are presumed guilty before they are proven innocent. So they're going to automatically mm-hmm. think that you had those papers forged and they're automatically not going to trust you, which is the sad part. I think that's why, I don't know, DNA testing must be a part of the future of these legislature. Yeah, in a way I agree, but in a way I can understand that there would be a challenge with that because I'm assuming DNA testing is not cheap. It's not, but if we vote people into office that are pro-animal rights, that it might be something that, you know, if we vote people in, maybe that legislature can go through. And it doesn't matter how expensive it is because the cost of the alternative is even higher. True. That's just my opinion. But I think that's one of the main reasons why they don't care about papers. Mm -hmm. Because there are baddies in the world that, their sole job is to make counterfeit papers and they're automatically not going to trust somebody. If a dog, they're going to go with their own perceptions, their own misjudgments as fact and just think then not trust the owner of the dog. Yeah. I think there's another aspect too, though, that if a person has papers, it should also have contact information for the breeder. And if the breeder is a reputable breeder, they should have records of the animals that they have sold. So if they did their due diligence, they could contact these breeders and verify if the papers are legitimate or not. Yeah, but they're not going to hire people just to do that. It's, it's, It's a sad world we live in for these animals. It's so sad, but that's why this conversation is really important to bring to the forefront. So people have it in their mind and they understand what goes on around this and maybe they can choose to do something to help fight it. Mm -hmm. The other challenge that comes into enforcing these bans is that in a lot of cases, these decisions about any particular dog are typically made without any evidence or without any input or by canine behavior experts, dog trainers, legitimate and respectable breeders, or legitimate breed clubs. Yeah, I agree that that needs to happen. Yeah. You know, why is the DNA test so important? The reason is because sometimes that pit bull look could actually be a recessive gene that doesn't show in either parent of the dog. So you could, for example, have a dog that only has about 5% of their genetic makeup being from a pit bull breed. And the rest, the 95% of the dog could be from I don't know, golden retriever or cocker spaniel or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of those dogs that people don't attribute to 
being dangerous. Right. <laughs> so just because they have that small percentage that gives them the look of a pit bull or a bully breed, they get black marked or slandered as being an animal who is going to be dangerous and aggressive and harmful. Very short-sighted. Mm-hmm. Another reason why there is often frequent misidentification, regardless of what kind of dog it is, is that it's based on guesses largely. It's probably not in all cases, but often vets, humane societies, and rescues will make a guess on what kind of dog they have in their care based on appearance. They're not going to do DNA tests or anything to verify. They're just going solely on appearance. And it's not that they're trying to cause any harm to these dogs. It's probably pretty much just because that's what's in their ability to do. Another question is, how can pit bulls be targeted when some of the dog associations choose to recognize certain types of dogs as a pit bull breed, but other associations will not choose to acknowledge those same types of dogs as a breed? Confusion. It just creates confusion. Mm -hmm. People don't know because you got one authority saying one thing and one authority saying another thing. They don't know who to believe. Right. So they just go with what they believe. Mm -hmm. All of these breeds may have similar ancestries, but they are all distinct breeds with varying characteristics, varying tendencies and varying needs. You know, as soon as we try to use a label and we try to put everything under this one label, problems arise. Because there is individuality in everything. You cannot put everything under a single label and expect it to be 100% identical to everything else under that label. Now, one of the things that I came across that I thought was interesting, but there was no real elaboration on it, was the idea that pit bulls should be regulated in the same way as other dangerous species, such as leopards. Oh, that's ridiculous. <laughs> but, Sorry. <laughs> But they never gave an example of, you know, in what respect leopards are dangerous. I mean, yeah, if you go into the wild and you encounter them, they're going to be dangerous because they're, you know, going to be protecting their territory, protecting their young, things like that. If they're hungry, you could be a potential food source for them. So I don't know. Could it maybe be they're referring to animals that are coming into human populations and possibly becoming a threat to people? Could it be a loss of habitat and need for food? Is that why these animals are quote unquote dangerous? And how does that correlate to how we should treat pit bulls? Well, all animals get judged on. <laughs> they don't take into consideration what the animal is about. They don't learn the animal. They don't understand. I mean, okay, so you might have, a, you know, using the leopard analogy, you may have one feline species that is, more aggressive, like say a lion. And then you might have a cheetah might be a little bit less dangerous than a lion. But I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just rattling off things. It's just judgment across the board. And it's one of those things that we have to, again, keep the animal in mind. You have to understand all of the characteristics around the, the situation, the environment, why they do the things they do. Are they hungry? Are they not having enough food in their environment? So that makes them more dangerous. I mean, pit bulls being in the same category as like leopards and lions, like ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. 
Okay, rant over. The thing is, is I think we need to stop blaming these animals for the things that we are doing to them. Exactly. So looking into some of the claims that have been out there about pit bulls, the claim is that there are two people who are injured by a pit bull every day and one person being killed by a pit bull every 14 days. But if you listen to our last episode, if you remember all the other aspects that we had talked about that are typically not mentioned in the media or in other areas where this might be discussed, these claims are not addressing any of those issues. It's not addressing how these animals are treated, whether or not they actually even are pit bulls, as well as what was occurring before the attack happened. And I'd also want to add how they died. Because maybe they just died of an infection, not because the dog, because they were at compromised immune system. Maybe they fell and hit their head. Wasn't the dog killing them? It was a fall that killed them. Mm -hmm. But because the dog was involved, the dog killed them. I I know I'm being semantical, but if that's a word, I don't know if it's a word, but semantical, I'm using it. But what did they die from? Because I don't know, we're much bigger than dogs. Like most pit bulls are about 50 pounds. Yeah, they're strong and whatever. (laughs) Seriously, I mean, what actually killed them? Mm -hmm. I feel like one of the biggest things we have to keep in mind is what happened before. You know, was there a child or was there a person who was not respecting the animal, not respecting their space, not understanding the prior communication that was being given by the dog that was saying, you know, basically saying back off animals in general, they are going to tell us if they are not comfortable in a situation, if they are scared, if they are trying to protect something, there are warnings. It's our responsibility to learn what they are trying to communicate to us and not blame them because we didn't understand their communication. Yeah. I think we've talked many, many times Not I think, I know. We have talked many, many times. There is not a bad animal. Animals are not inherently bad. We make bad animals. We humans are the ones that cause the animals to be bad. Whether it's neglect, whether it's inaction, whether it's abuse, whether it's just enabling, we do it. Our behavior, living with these beautiful creatures, is what turns the animals into what they end up being however good or bad or neutral. We have to remember that, that we have just as much responsibility, like Miranda said, than the animal. Actually, I think we'd have more responsibility. Mm -hmm. And here's some information that might surprise you, that might, might shift your views a little bit on the pit bull situation. And that's not to make these other animals dangerous or bad, or that they should be targeted. That's not the intention with this. But we have to realize this is not addressed in the media as much as the pit bull stuff, because I don't know what their reason is. I think it's just because they want to have a target. And if there's more than one type of animal that are also doing this behavior, then they can't target a particular dog anymore then they'd have to just target dogs in general. Yeah, I don't think that would go very well. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So there have been other dogs such as German Shepherds, Labradors. Yes, Labradors. 
chow chows, and Siberian huskies that have been involved in serious bite injuries. And Siberian huskies have actually caused a large number of fatal attacks in certain parts of Canada. I think Siberian huskies are lovely dogs. Mm -hmm. Again, we don't know what the situation was that led up to it. And unless we know the situation on both sides, we can't make a true assessment. Our perception is going to be skewed. Here, here. There has been a popularity of certain breeds that have played a distinct role in the percentage of attacks occurring in specific locations. But ultimately, it still boils down to training, welfare, and respect of these animals. Let's say that again. Respect yeah. of these animals. <laughs> I think that's the part that gets missed a lot. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes the welfare and the training as well. Yeah, definitely. It's also been found that Great Danes, Akitas, and Jack Russell Terriers, they can display some serious aggression towards other dogs. But here's another interesting aspect. In Germany, some stringent state-regulated temperament tests were administered to dogs that were considered dangerous breeds. And it was found that the reactions to these tests were appropriate for the stimulus and were very similar to the reactions of the dogs that were considered to be friendly breeds. So that kind of emphasizes the idea of what happened prior to the attack. Mm -hmm. This shows that breed alone is not enough to determine the potential aggressiveness of a dog. There's three things that create a problem with trying to blame pit bulls for a certain percentage of all of the dog bite injuries and deaths. And that is that dog bite data varies greatly. Not all bites are getting reported. And those that are getting reported are not even always documented into databases. Sad truth. Mm. It has been determined that approximately three fatal bites per 10 million dogs per year in the U.S. occur. Is this enough to actually justify a breed-specific legislation? Heck no. We need to do better as humans. <laughs> Again, <laughs> the responsibility lies on us. Vote in your right person. Really do whatever you can as far as animal advocacy is. And let's change this perception, this judgment that abounds throughout the world. It's not just here in North America. It happens everywhere. It just seems like, I don't know. I don't know about you, but I know here in the States, our legislation against dogs is ridiculous. It's mm. ridiculous, especially the quote unquote pit bull breeds. And I'm going to remind you guys as we go to break that a pit bull is not a breed, it is a conglomeration of breeds. It is not one specific thing. And we need to stop, I guess, judging these beautiful creatures just by looks alone. We tried not to do that with people. I know we fail a lot, but it goes the same way. Mm -hmm. It goes the same way. And with that, we're going to get a break. So we'll see you in a bit. 
Hi everyone, we hope you've been enjoying season three. It's been a great couple of years so far. Miranda and I just want to take a moment and thank you all for joining us on this journey and listening each and every week. We've got lots planned for you this season, great interviews, great topics, and we're even building you a home on YouTube. If you want to help us out and be at the first in line, just head to YouTube, look for the Animal Files podcast and hit that subscribe button. Or you can just head to the website, www.theanimalfilespodcast.com. Calm. Now that that's out of the way, let's get back to the conversation. Welcome back, and thanks for listening to The Animal Files as we start our third season with a great group of shows focused around the unfortunate situation that surrounds pit bull breeds and bully breeds and what we can do to help mitigate that, help change that, for these beautiful animals. As we left the first half, we started talking about breed specific legislation. Actually, we talked about it a lot. <laughs> Just to bring the question up again, is all the things we talked about enough to justify breed specific legislation? I'm going to go on record and say no, hell no. So we're going to start this half off talking about the risks of breed specific legislation. I agree that I don't think that breed-specific legislation is justified. And what could be the consequences of enforcing this? Well, you could end up having pet owners of these banned breeds who choose to avoid veterinary visits because they're afraid that the veterinary clinic is going to report them or something. If, again, the owners of these banned breeds may choose to avoid socializing their dogs because of what they've heard, what they've been told, and so they don't have any interaction with other dogs and humans. Which can cause a lot of problems, again, because they need to be socialized. Dogs are social creatures. Mm -hmm. And if they don't get socialization, they don't know how to interact with other dogs. They don't know how to interact with other humans. They just don't know. I, you can't blame a two-year-old for not knowing how to ride a bicycle. It's kind of the same thing. Mm -hmm. If a person owns one of these banned breeds, they may choose to avoid professional training and not learn how to properly train their dogs themselves. Again, that is going to lead to problems if the dog does not know how to have the behaviors that is going to maintain safety. Another consequence is that the owners of these dogs could be refused homeowner insurance or not allowed to live in any kind of rental property. So then what could that end up doing? Well, they might end up living in the home without the insurance, which is not really a good idea because then they're going to lose everything if something happens like a fire or something like that. Or if they're in a situation where they can't own a home and they have to go into a rental property they may end up choosing to abandon these animals or surrender them. And a lot of the surrendered pit bulls and pit bull breeds. It's an automatic death sentence. Not everywhere. I mean. Yeah, not everywhere. But, but in a lot of in cases. In a lot of cases, especially if they don't know where to bring the dog. And then just, mm -hmm. it's a death sentence. Mm -hmm. There are many, many pit bulls sitting on doggy death row right at the moment. Mm -hmm. And that's sad. It's really sad. And some of you might think. Or some other people might think that, oh, if we've got breed-specific legislation, these dogs won't get used for fighting purposes anymore. Wrong. Yeah. You make something illegal and the baddies go for the illegal thing and they just make it even more illegal. Mm -hmm. It's just the nature. If it's taboo, it's enticing. 
And if there is breed-specific legislation in your area, there's likely going to be people who live there who don't have the best interests of dogs. They have the wrong reasons that they want these dogs because the legislation creates sort of like a status around these dogs as being these demonized, terrible animals. This could encourage certain types of people who want a quote-unquote dangerous dog to seek out these demonized dogs for unscrupulous purposes. Yeah. And you just won't know about it. Like five years later, you're going to find out this massive dog ring, all these dead dogs. You know, the stories have happened all of the time. I mean, it's been a secret for a long time. You make it even more taboo and it's it's just going to go so far into the shadows that you're just not going to know. And these poor dogs are going to suffer. And we need to stop that by not banning breeds. <laughs> Education is key mm-hmm. in this particular area. And believe it or not, there is actually documentation on the number of dog bites and attacks and that that are occurring after breed specific legislation is implemented. What they have found is that it has not shown any decrease in dog bite injuries. Yeah, I would probably think that the opposite is true. When the breed legislation goes away or gets lessened, dog bites go down because people are loving their animals. They're treating their animals with care. They're able to get their dog the proper training. They're able to get their dog the proper veterinary care. And my guess is the dog bites will go down because these dogs will be respected and loved and cared for. And when an animal, doesn't matter what kind of animal it is, is treated with compassion, they are really good companions. Mm. You know, I think that if... If we increase the education, you know, even putting it into schools as part of the curriculum so that the younger generations learn about it, how to treat animals. And if the media would stop enforcing fear, that's my opinion. I feel like media enforces fear in everything. Oh, totally. Well, 100%. 100%. Yeah. You know, so if fear wasn't so much a factor and education was far more a factor, then there would be much fewer issues with conflicts between humans and dogs or humans and any animal. Yeah, I agree. So what can we do? What can we do? Well, there's a, there's a number of different things that we can look at. And like I said, one of the things is to educate our children in school, but also offer this education to adults. I mean, of course, we can't really enforce adults to learn that if they don't want to, Yeah, but, <laughs> but we can offer it to people who are open to it. But in the curriculum, it can be an aspect that is added. Yeah. I can see a, an animal studies course mm-hmm. that right there. Perfect college course. It could be even going connection or conjunction with earth science and biology in high school. It makes such a nice addition. And I can hear some people thinking, oh, it's like, well, I don't want to waste my taxes teaching something like that to our children in school. It's not something they need to know. Well, actually, it's way more important for them to understand that and learn the empathy, the compassion, the respect and all of that than it is for them to do statistics. Yeah. And we mentioned that when we're, we were talking about kids and animals. I think what, season one, we talked about that. Mm. 
how important raising a child with an animal is for creating a well-rounded human. Mm -hmm. You teach this kind of thing to children in school, you're going to have a human being who is going to be able to contribute to society in a much more effective way, because it's not just going to be on just the intellectual information that they gather. It's going to incorporate so much more of the soft skills, which are so important to be a fully evolved human being. Yes. So another one is obviously responsible dog ownership. You know, if you provide your dogs with sufficient exercise and enrichment activities, you provide them with sufficient space for them to move in and around the home, and you provide them with proper training and introduction to new animals and humans, there's going to be very little reason for the dog to want to attack anyone. Yeah. When a dog is respected, feel safe, feel secure, they have no reason. No reason. They're going to be like chill family members for the most part. I mean, they're going to be puppies most of the time, but (laughs) they're going to be a nice addition to the family. Yeah. I just mentioned training. So proper training is essential, but here is the key. It's not just the training of the dogs. It's the training also of the human caregivers. Love it. Love it. (laughs) When we are training our animals, so we want to utilize force-free and fear-free training methods. Because if we don't use those, then we're actually encouraging that aggressive response because we're encouraging the fear, the stress. Licensing is something that is used in a lot of places. And this is not like saying, oh, well, if you've got a pit bull, you got to like pay this particular specific license or something like that. That's not the kind of licensing I'm talking about. It's about if you have any animal you get them licensed because then that's going to encourage more responsible behavior. And if somebody doesn't quite follow it and they get fined, well, the fees and the fines that could occur from it could go towards education and animal care. This is something that is currently occurring in Calgary, Alberta. Calgary has actually experienced a 50% reduction dog aggression reporting. Wow, that's significant. Mm -hmm. We've talked about socializing as being an important aspect. This is something that is taught by the dog mom, but also through their interaction with other dogs. And so supervising them through any of the socialization process is important because that way, as the human caregiver, you can step in if you notice that there is any kind of aggression that might be starting to happen. Spaying and neutering is also really important, especially in male dogs. A male dog who is not neutered can have more tendencies to be aggressive towards other dogs because of territorial aspects. That can still happen even if they are neutered, but it does reduce that tendency. Well, they have less testosterone. Yeah. Anything with less testosterone is not going to be as aggressive. Get your animals neutered and get them spayed. Because females can be a little bit more aggressive in certain situations if they are intact. Mm. So excess hormones cause a big issue for all species that live on this planet. So if you want a dog that has less aggressive tendencies, make sure that they're spayed or neutered. Mm. Another thing you can do to help reduce the chances of any kind of dog attack is 
if you're going to buy your dog, buy them only from responsible breeders and having responsible breeding. Not all places have this, but if, if they do have it, the registered and licensed breeders, that's who you want to go to. But if they don't actually have anything like that in place, then that means you're going to have to do your own research to find out which breeders are actually reputable and responsible. We've talked about responsible breeding in many of our episodes. And if you want to have a more detailed idea of what to look for, you can reach out to us at the Animal Files podcast at gmail.com. And we would be happy to provide you with that information. So a responsible breeder is going to fully understand genetics and all that is part and parcel of proper breeding. That's the important part. They have to understand the genetics. No backyard breeders. If somebody just says, oh, I have a good looking dog. I don't want to get them fixed. Let's have them have puppies so we can make money. That is not a responsible breeder. Accidents may happen, but if they are intentionally breeding a good looking dog just to make a few bucks, that is not a responsible breeder because they do not understand genetics. They just don't. And it shouldn't be about the money. It should be about the love of the breed. Yep. And how to make the breed better. Mm -hmm. And this is where the training of the humans come in, is learning to recognize and address behavioral issues early on. Also learn how to assess animals based on behavior rather than on appearance. We can also learn to work together as a community instead of against each other. Oh, I would love that. When we work together, it doesn't mean that we have to be 100% in agreement on everything. Exactly. What that means is that we need to be able to listen and try to understand each other's points of views. And have constructive conversation mm -hmm. where we can compromise and come to a, a certain point. If you remember, compromise goes into a lot of things. <laughs> as a pet owner, as a caretaker of an animal, you need to also compromise with the animal. So if you're going to work with your community, just make sure that the animal is part of that conversation. It's not just humans dictating everything that the animals do. It's the humans understanding that animal and bringing that into the conversation and actually having constructive community conversations. Yeah. When we can work together to find solutions that can benefit both sides of the issue, then we're more likely to discover how to address the fears of the public as well as protect against unnecessary judgments and deaths. Yep. This all takes understanding which is something that we will be discussing in our next episode. Yeah, so you're going to want to stick around with this because this is really going to give you a lot more information. Hopefully we've given you enough so far. We have one more part to this. In our final episode of this series, we're going to delve into that. How do we understand? How do we use that human skill of understanding to better the world for these animals? So as always, if you have any questions about anything we talk about, you can always email us at the animal files podcast at gmail.com. You can check out our website. We do have some resources that are building all the time. That's the animal files podcast.com. And 
You can always follow us on the socials. That is also on the website. So you can get all of that. Our upcoming YouTube link is there as well. And you can support us. We have a one-time donation you can do through PayPal. We also have our Patreon and we have merchandise. So if you love what we do, help support so we can continue to bring this information to you and really just start the ball rolling on this education side of this conversation. Any more last minute thoughts, Miranda? Also check us out on the Wisdom app. You can find us there as well. Yes, we do a talk every Thursday on various topics. So if you don't know what the Wisdom app is, eh, just email us. We'll let you know. It's a great <laughs> app. So <laughs> you can find us over there as well. I guess that's it for today. So, <laughs> All right. So with that, you guys have a wonderful week and we will see you next time on the Animal Files podcast. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to rate, review, and recommend the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want some more great info, be sure to check out www.theanimalfilespodcast.com.